Welcome to worship. My name is Sheila and it's my joy to welcome you to Schweitzer Church. If this is your first time joining us, we want to extend you a very special welcome. If you'll check in with us and maybe give us your name and email address, we will send you a gift card this week and the coffee is on us. This is week nine of our sermon series about David and Pastor Spencer has a great message just ahead for us. Speaking of the message, you'll find sermon discussion questions and more online at schweitzer.church next. And now, here's our announcements. Hello, I'm Stephanie. Welcome to Schweitzer. Today, we are kicking off our back to school backpack drive. This year, we will be providing 250 backpacks filled with all kinds of needed school supplies for every student at Pittman Elementary. This is one way that we serve our community by reaching out to a school right here in our own neighborhood. Our Schweitzer Kids team has purchased the backpacks, but we need your help with filling those backpacks up with special supplies for each grade. You can find out what's needed and pick up a shopping list at the backpack table in the lobby today and bring your supplies back by August 13th. In August, we are starting a new ministry to support and encourage single pregnant women in our community called Embrace Grace. Here's Marilyn Quigley to tell you more about how you can share the news. Hello, I'm Marilyn, and I'm here representing a team that is getting ready to launch a ministry here at Schweitzer that will begin August 16th. Embrace Grace is an international ministry with over 1,000 churches that attempts to meet the needs of single pregnant women. Our purpose is to pour love into these women so that they will know that they are accepted and welcomed in this church. This program has many facets to it, and you will find out a lot more about that when you read the next Spark magazine that comes out. So now, what can you do to help with this ministry? The first thing you can do is pray that God will send us exactly the young women that He wants to have in this program. The second thing is to grab one of these cards from an usher, look it over, see what it contains, and then find a place to put it where somebody might come along and see it. The third thing you can do is if you see one of our posts coming through on social media, just resend it. We are especially looking for a mom with a baby who might want to get involved with us. And if you want to know more about anything, meet me at the Blue Booth right after church. Next Sunday, July 30th at 5 p.m., we are hosting river baptisms at the Ozark City Park on the Finley River. Make plans to join us for this special celebration followed by a church-wide picnic. We're supplying hot dogs, ice cream, and music. You just need to bring a side to share and some chairs for our picnic time. And of course, if you would like to be baptized during this special time together, please reach out to Pastor Sheila or any one of our church staff. A couple more things to put on your calendar. Coming up on August 3rd is our next second season lunch. And that same day, August 3rd, we're also hosting a blood drive in the Fellowship Center from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Lots of great activities going on here at Schweitzer all the time. We are so glad you've joined us this morning for worship. Let's continue. Thanks for those great announcements. 
As always, we invite you to join us for any or all of these great things that are happening at Schweitzer Church. You can find more information online at schweitzer.church next. If you're worshiping with us live today, we invite you to join in the chat. Say hello to your friends or give us your insights. And if you find yourself in need of prayer, we have someone waiting for you in the prayer room right now. Just press that button and we'll be right with you. And now let's continue in worship.
As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to join me as we go to our Heavenly Father. Let us pray together. Holy God, we lift up your name as we worship you today. We thank you so much that we can worship through this wonderful online service. What a joy it is, even when we can't be in person in corporate worship. We thank you for the blessings of each day. We thank you that you are there for us through every phase of our life. You are there in the good times and the bad. You are there when we rejoice and you are there when we mourn. God, you are so present and all we have to do is open that door and invite you to be with us. God, we thank you for the blessings that you have provided of this past week. We thank you for the opportunities to minister and to worship and to share joy with other people. God, we know that you have empowered us to be a blessing to others. So we ask you to continue to give us that, that presence to other people that we might share the love that you have shown to us. And now, God, as we continue in prayer, we want to say the prayer that your Son taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, it's my joy to share with you something great that's happening right now at Schweitzer. Check this out. Hi, my name is Sheila Pippen, and it's my joy to tell you a little bit about my journey of faith. As a child, I was raised in a house that we worshiped God regularly every Sunday, and that was a great thing. We didn't talk a lot about our faith, but we knew that was what we did. As I became a little older, I kind of started owning my own faith, and, and I was baptized as a nine-year-old during vacation Bible school. That was a great part of my beginning. Um, as I became a little bit older, I knew that God was calling me to ministry. I was in a, a church that didn't necessarily push women into ministry that way, so it was a little bit confusing for me, but I knew that God was calling me. So at age 16, I began directing choirs, directing children's choirs at my church, and, and a dear friend of mine and I did that together, and it was such a great time. We had so much fun doing it, and uh, as I continued to grow in my faith, uh, there was a church that was actually looking for a director of youth and children's choirs. I was teaching full-time, teaching vocal music in schools, and so that was my opportunity, and I applied for that position. I felt so sure that God was saying, this is for you. And uh, I did end up with that position. I was, for 38 years, the director of all of the music ministries, and toward the end of that time, in that 38 years, I was able to do the care ministries as well. Uh, I felt the nudge from God to say, it's time to do something different. It's time to go. And, 
And so I met with Pastor Jim Mason and, and with Mary Decker, and, and I knew that if this was the kind of people that I would work with at Schweitzer, this was my place. As I was serving as the director of First Impressions, I was connecting with so many people and I loved doing that. And uh, one day Pastor Jason came and talked to me and, and let me know that it was a possibility that Pastor Jim was going to retire soon. He asked me if uh, I would consider taking over the congregational care ministry and um, Jason came back after a, a talk with Spencer and, and with the board and, and asked me if I would be interested in ordination. My jaw dropped. After picking up my jaw, I said, absolutely. So in the meantime, I've been taking classes. I've worked with my mentor, Mark Mildren. Um, it's been a wonderful experience, just digging deeper into my faith and finding out what it means to, to truly be a pastor. What a blessing it is. And so to be ordained uh, on, on the 23rd this week, I'm, I'm just so thankful. I mean, I just feel like this is God coming full circle in my life. I've, I've always served Him in various ways and He's used my gifts so amazingly. I'm just so thankful that, that He's given me these gifts to share. I think this is one more step in God's journey in my life. So as I come to this special time in my life and in my life of ministry, I just want to say thank you to the people of Schweitzer Church. Oh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I just can't believe God does this in my life. But thank you so much for your support. Thank you for believing in me and for the board and for the pastors supporting me during this journey. And I promise I will continue to serve God by caring for you. Thank you for this opportunity. Surprise, it was a video about me. But honestly, I am so thrilled for what God is doing in my life and in the life of Schweitzer Church. Because of your support, everything here can happen. I look forward to my ordination this weekend, but I especially look forward to ministering in God's name with all of you. Thank you so much for giving and for your support. I just want to remind you, as always, you can give online at schweitzer.church/give. Thank you so much for supporting ministries here at Schweitzer. And now, here's Pastor Spencer with week nine of our sermon series about David. Friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. So glad that you're here with us. We are continuing our series on King David. We're going all summer long exploring the, the story of, of his life. Started this Memorial Day weekend, going all the way to Labor Day weekend because there's just so much to learn from King David. Now, we're in a part of his life right now where, where David has just become king. Uh, this was just last week we saw this, and he makes Jerusalem his capital city, the city of David, a really, really significant moment in the Bible. That's 2 Samuel chapter 5. We're not going to read that. Instead, we're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 6, and I want to show you one of the very first things that David does as king. 
And this is so significant. It's so important. And I think it shows uh, just with such clarity, what is David about? What are his priorities? What is leading him? And so uh, we're going to jump into this because we're going to cover a ton of ground. But this is 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Here's how it goes. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Balah in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. And of course, we're talking here about the ark of the covenant. Think Indiana Jones, not the new one. I haven't seen it yet. The, the old one, the first one, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's 1981, by the way. So we're, we're talking here about the Ark of the Covenant. This is a, a box that was, that was made to hold the Ten Commandments and some, and some other things, but it was way more than just for keepsakes and mementos. The, the Ark of the Covenant had all kinds of significance. And I, I can't really explore all of the significance the Ark of the Covenant had because um, of our limited time. But you know what? I'll try. <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant had, had such significance. You can see so much of it by how it's described in the Bible. And so, so one of the things that the Bible describes the Ark of the Covenant here in 2 Samuel 6 is this phrase, that the Lord Almighty is enthroned between the cherubim on the Ark. The Lord is enthroned, that He is the King. This is where He is. He's between the cherubim. He's the enthroned between the cherubim on the Ark. Now, the Ark had these these angels that were on top and, and engraved into the top of this. And, and this place between the angels was where God dwelled. That's, that's what it signified. That's what it was about. And I don't mean that God dwelled there in like a general sense, how we talk about, you know, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. No, no, no. Very specifically, God dwelled on top of and between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. This is where God is. And because of this, the ark played a central point in the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was basically a big tent that traveled around with the people of Israel while they wandered for 40 years in the desert. And, and the tabernacle had a certain room, a special room that was just reserved for the ark of the covenant because this is where God dwelled. And, and no one is allowed to come into this, this special room. And there's no other furniture there. It's just the Ark of the Covenant because this is where, where God is, in this special place. And, and listen to how Exodus describes what happens in the tabernacle or the tent of meeting because of the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God dwells. This is Exodus chapter 40. Just the last couple of verses of the book of Exodus describes it like this. It says, then the cloud, that is the, the cloud of God's presence, covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Verse 35 says, Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the Ark of the Covenant, the, 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 therefore the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, this is where God's presence on earth happened this is where God dwells. And this is why in the New Testament, when we read verses like John chapter 1, verse 14, that says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Father. We're talking about Jesus, of course, with that verse we read at Christmas time, but it's a callback to the Ark of the Covenant. It's a callback to where God was because now what the Bible is telling us is that Jesus is the place where God's presence dwells. 
And to take that even a step further, the New Testament will go on in 1 Corinthians 6 to say that after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, God's presence is opened for everybody so that we, the church, those who belong to Jesus Christ, will, will, will be, the Bible describes it, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are where God dwells. Like there's all these amazing connections we have from the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle to Jesus and now the church. But honestly, ah, that's just another sermon. I, I want to explore it, but it's just another sermon. So let's go back to the Ark. The Ark was God's presence on earth. And, and as this, God moved in power through the Ark of the Covenant. So for instance, uh, the Israelites would carry the Ark of the Covenant. And one time they came to the Jordan River where they're going to enter into the promised land and they, they carry the Ark of the Covenant on these poles, and as they come into the Jordan River, the water parts, and so the people are able to walk on dry ground. Or they go to Jericho, and they march around with the Ark of the Covenant, and as the Bible tells us, the walls come tumbling down, that, that the Ark is this way that God is, is with his, his people. And so one of the very first things that David does as king is he goes and he gets the Ark. And the ark just isn't, just isn't like some religious symbol. It's not just some icon. It's the very presence of God because this is where God dwells. And so as David goes to get the ark, he's, he's really inviting the presence of God to come in and to be with his people because, because this is where God dwells. And therefore the ark of the covenant is this incredibly special thing. The biblical word for the specialness of the ark is the word holy. The Ark of the Covenant is, is holy. Now, when we use that word holy in the Bible, what that word means essentially is unique or different or set apart. In other words, it's, it's not like other things. It's, it's, it's holy. So the Ark is holy. And because it's holy, because it relates to God, um, God gives Moses all kinds of rules about the Ark of the Covenant. There's rules about how it's to be made. There's rules about how it's supposed to be stored within the tabernacle in the special room. And for what we're going to read today, there's some, some rules even about um, how it's supposed to be transported. And those rules are really important. So some of those rules are this, that, that as the ark is transported from place to place, it's only supposed to be carried on poles. Or there are these rings that were a part of it. And, and poles would go through these rings, would slide through. And, and the idea for that was so that no one would ever touch the ark of the covenant because it's holy. And, and only special people were allowed to carry the Ark of the Covenant on these poles. They were have to be Levites of a specific tribe of Levites who were descendants of Moses. And so there's all these kinds of rules. And, 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 and the reason for this, because in the Bible, if something is, is holy, that it's holy because it relates to God, because God is holy. Think about how the last book of the Bible, Revelation, talks about God. It says that in heaven, there are these angels that surround God and just cry out all day long, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And what they're really saying is that the Lord is unlike anything else. He's unique and different and he's separate from us and he's, he's, he's holy. And so therefore in the Bible, those things that relate to God are, are also holy. And there's all kinds of rules about holy things in the Old Testament. And the thing about these, these rules about holy things in the Old Testament is not so much that they're meant to protect those items like the Ark of the Covenant but rather those rules are meant to protect us from the holiness of God. Because God is so different, because God is so perfect, because God is holy, there is a gulf that is between us because of our sin. Our sin and God's holiness cannot coexist. We see this throughout the pages of Scripture, that, that, that God is so holy that He can't be in the presence of, 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 of sin 
And so you see this, this gulf that cannot be bridged. And so the Old Testament has all these holy things that need to be treated in a certain way in order to protect us from the holiness of God. And this brings us now to verse three. David goes to get the Ark of the Covenant, one of the holiest things there is because this is where God dwells. And then we read this. They set the Ark of God on a new cart. This is not what you're supposed to do with the Ark of the Covenant. It's supposed to put on poles carried by Levites who are descendants of Moses. It's holy and they're treating it as if it's common. Ah. So they set the Ark of God on a new cart and they brought it from the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart. And with the Ark of God on it, Ahio was walking in front of it and David and all Israel were celebrating, listen to this, with all their might. We're going to read that phrase three times in this passage. With all their might before the Lord. With castanets, harps, lyres, timbals, sistrums, and cymbals. They got the band all together. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down. He died there beside the ark of God. Can you imagine? There's 30,000 people all around celebrating with all these instruments and then this thing happens and probably it just goes silent. Maybe there were some shrieks, some wails, some cries as people realize what's going on. And verse 8 says, David was angry and, and rightly so because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of God to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Uh, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, King David was told the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, that is Jerusalem, with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of God notice that they've changed how they're treating it, when they had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Verse 15, while he was and all Israel were bringing up the ark of God with shouts and the sound of trumpets. And as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of God and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And then verse 20, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Verse 21, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from the ho his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes by these slave girls you spoke of. I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now, to unpack this, 
let's look at this through um, the three main people that we see here, um, David, Michael, and Uzzah. And as we do this, uh, we'll start with the uh, most complicated one. Let's start with, with Uzzah. And uh, just to state the obvious, as we unpack this and think about this through, through the eyes of Uzzah, we just need to say here that all of us are uncomfortable with what happens um, in the story of Uzzah. I mean, Uzzah must have had good intentions. I mean, I'm presuming a little bit, but Uzzah certainly had to have good intentions as he sets to steady the ark while the ox are pulling the cart. And, and then seemingly out of nowhere, the Lord um, strikes Uzzah down and he dies. And this is one of those things in the Bible that you come across that a lot of people will see and think to themselves, well, if this is what God is like, well, I don't want to follow him. Count me out. And other people will hear people have that kind of reaction. They're like, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. This is not what God is like. Go read the New Testament. In the New Testament, God is kind. He's compassionate, right? He's patient. He's love. And of course, that's true. God is all of those things. But sometimes people come to the conclusion that God changes from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Like in the Old Testament, he's mean and cranky. And then in the New Testament, he's, he's kind and he's nice. And this is what a lot of people do. And there's, there's always a temptation to come to parts of the Bible like Uzzah and just to simply reject it because we think, I can't believe in a God like that. I mean, how do I, how do I do this? But, but do you know what's really happening when you begin to reject pieces of the Bible because they're uncomfortable like that? Do you know what you're really doing? Well, what you're really doing is you are creating God in your own image, how you want God to be. Author and pastor John Mark Comer, he, he says this. I think this is so good, so wise. He says, if you shape your theology of God from bits and pieces of the Bible, along with a mishmash of your own bias, pop culture, and the ever-evolving tide of ethics in Western culture, then you'll end up with a God who is simply a projection of your own wishful thinking, a God who isn't real but artificial. And then he says this, so good. He says, the nice thing about made-up gods is that they agree with you on everything and they let you live as you please. Unfortunately, they're incredibly boring and flat and humdrum because they don't actually exist. There are times that the God of the Bible is going to make you uncomfortable, is going to make you angry. And what we see God doing with Uzzah is, is one of those times. But the real reason it makes us uncomfortable is not because we think God is being unfair. That's not really what's behind our uncomfortable feeling that we have here. What, what we really makes us uncomfortable is that is that it challenges us. The scene of what happens to us, it challenges us to take the holiness of God seriously. And the holiness of God, the holiness of the Lord, that is truly an uncomfortable God. Because a holy God takes our sin seriously. We want a cuddly God. But what we see with this in the Bible is that while God is certainly kind and compassionate and slow to anger, abounding to love, no question about it, also God is, is holy and he takes our sin seriously. Uzzah does not take God's holiness seriously. He doesn't take his own sin seriously. I mean, he's, he's forgetting this basic truth of the Bible that God is holy. And so instead, Uzzah treats God casually like a, like a common thing, like he would treat anything. And the reason you see he reaches out and touches the, the ark to steady it is because he thinks 
that a little bit of dirt on the ground is what's going to defile the Ark of the Covenant instead of the sinfulness that is in his own life. Uzzah doesn't understand. He is flippant. He is dismissive. Uzzah has a casual relationship with God. This reminds me of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes when he talks about um, cheap grace. Listen to what he writes. He says, cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And on the other hand, Bonhoeffer talks about costly grace. And costly grace, he says, is, quote, costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man his only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. And above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. And above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. That's Uzzah. Cheap grace. He's got a casual, flippant, dismissive relationship with God. Doesn't take God's holiness or his own sin seriously. Let's move on to the second person. And let's talk about Michael, David's wife. Although if you're paying attention, not one time did the Bible describe Michael as David's wife. Instead, we said three times that uh, Michael was the daughter of Saul. So verse 16 said, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from window. Verse 20, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. Verse 23, Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children. So three times she is the daughter of Saul. So she represents the old guard, the old king, the old kingdom. Now, one of the most interesting things about King Saul is that he had no interest in the Ark of the Covenant. None whatsoever. The Ark of the Covenant was this, you know, place of God's dwelling. It was used by the Israelites to, to be the place where God dwells and how to meet with God. That is until the sons of Eli came about and they used the Ark of the Covenant for themselves and they took it into a battle in a, in a, in a really mis, foolish kind of way and and, and as I took the Ark of the Covenant into battle, they lost and it was captured by the Philistines. And in a, in a pretty humorous, strange story, the Philistines had all kinds of trouble because the Ark of the Covenant was in their camp and in their country. And so they sent it back to Israel and it finally arrived back in Israel. And it just lived for a long time, years, um, on the border between the Philistines and the Israelites. All through the reign of King Saul, the Ark of the Covenant stayed there because Saul had no interest um, in the Ark of the Covenant, which really shows his own disinterest in the things of God, in the presence of God, and having fellowship with God. So when David is in town dancing, what's Michael's response? Well, her response is like her father. She despises it. She's not interested in it. Because for her, just like her father, life is about power. It's about status. Her main concern is that she's worried about what other people are going to think of her. For her... God is mostly about self-promotion. She can't handle the thought that, that someone might think of her less or as undignified because she's worshiping the Lord. She's thinking first and foremost about her reputation, how others view of her and think of her and are going to talk to her, talk about her. She has a carefully cultivated her image on Instagram and she has a brand that she's presenting into the world and she can't imagine giving any of that up to pursue the presence of God in her life. And her desire for approval from others, it blinds her to her need for the presence of God. And this is what happens. 
When your first and your driving desire in life is for the approval of others, you will always miss the presence of God in life because you'll never have the conviction to pursue God above other things. There's so much that we could say about this uh, this drive that we see in Michael, especially in this age of Instagram that we live in, where we cultivate images and, and we have this age that is obsessed with beauty and it's obsessed with material things that show our importance and we show it off in all kinds of ways. I mean, we live in a generation in a time where a generation is being is being raised to to believe that their self-worth is what they project online and the likes that they get. And and the truth is, as long as you're driven by that, and as long as you worship at that idol, you will have no room in your life for the presence of God and the things of God and, and fellowship with God. What Michael doesn't understand is that the only opinion in the entire universe that really matters is the Lord. And instead, she's living her life to, to please others and get the approval of others. And, and, uh, if, and, and because she's, she's living like this, she doesn't understand that living for others and the approval of others is really going to lead you to miss the presence of God. And finally then, that brings us to David, King David. David, who goes out of his way to, to get the ark. David, who who goes and dances and celebrates with all his might. I mean, three times we read that. David, who, who demonstrates a, a hunger, not for power or status or reputation, but a hunger for the presence of God. I mean, I think about some of the things that we've read about what David himself writes in, in his prayer journal, the Psalms, because not only do we have the life events that we have in 2 Samuel, we also have his prayer journal, the Psalms. And listen to some of the things that David said in various Psalms about his hunger for the presence of God in his life. This is Psalm 16. David writes, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 21 says this, surely you have greeted him, that is the king, talking about himself, with unending blessings and made him glad in the joy of your presence. Psalm 61, David writes, I long to dwell in your tent forever, talking about the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and take refuge in the Shelter of your wings. This is a direct line about the Ark of the Covenant, the wings, the, the, uh, the cherubim. Verse five, for you, God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. And then I will ever sing in praise of your name and fulfill my vows day after day. David has this hunger for a real encounter with God, to to live in his presence. David desires fellowship with God. This is what's driving him. He's not interested in knowing about God. He's not interested in facts and figures and theology. David wants a real encounter with the living God. He wants to know God personally. And at this point in his life, this is what's driving him. As he establishes his kingdom, this is what he's leaning into. This is his ambition. This is his goal. His leadership is oriented around this. His family life is oriented around this. This is what he wants for the people of Israel. This is why he includes 30,000 people to come along with him and to celebrate the presence of God coming to the city of David, Jerusalem. This is who David is. It's incredible and it shows what his life is about. It's about the presence of God. It's about fellowship with God. It's about knowing God personally. So we have this incredibly important start to the rule and to the reign of David. The Ark of the Covenant is brought to Jerusalem. And as the Ark of the Covenant comes to town, we see three people. We see Uzzah. 
who's a casual, flippant, dismissive kind of relationship with God. Doesn't take his own sin seriously. Isn't going to sacrifice or, or be obedient. There's no real difficulty. He's not seeking to live as God would design for him to live. He just has this casual relationship with God. We have Michael, who's living for the approval of others. And her driver in life is that she wants status. She wants to be seen. She wants other people to like her and to think highly of her. She's worried about her reputation and how others view her. She's cultivating an image and her desire for approval, it blinds her from her need for the presence of God, for fellowship with God, for friendship with God, for an experience with God. And then we have David, who's hungry for the presence of God. He's seeking after God. He's celebrating with all of his might. He's worshiping God. He's making God his priority. He doesn't care what others think about him because he wants fellowship with God first and foremost. He is hungry to put the presence of the Lord in the center of his life. Simple question. Which of these three people best describes you? Let's pray. And so, Father, today as we um, listen to the story thinking about David and Michael and Uzzah, these, these three people who have this different, very different encounters with the presence of God through the Ark of the Covenant here. We, we just want to confess that sometimes we are like Uzzah. We have sin in our life that we don't account for. We don't think it's serious. We don't repent of it. We don't seek to change. And instead, we just keep living in the same patterns day after day, not thinking that it's serious. We just dismiss it and we live with a kind of cheap grace in our life that doesn't take into account all that you have given that we might have a new life, the ways that you have provided a provision for our sin with the death of your son, Jesus Christ. Other times, maybe we find ourselves like Michael. Honestly, we're just living as the culture tells us. We want first and foremost that other people might think more highly of us. We, we live for approval. We're obsessed with what's on our phones. And this is what really has our attention. It's what has our minds. And this is what we're living for. But Lord Jesus, we wanna be like David, who wants fellowship with God. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to live in your presence, to have an experience of your presence, not just know about you, but to know you personally. Would you stir within us a hunger for friendship, for fellowship, for an encounter with your presence? And as you open our hearts and our minds to make this the priority of our life, a relationship with you, Lord, we know that we are going to have a real encounter with the living God. And we thank you that your presence, it's not limited to a building anymore. It's given to us because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that all of us are invited to come and encounter the living presence of the living God. And so, Father, today we open our hearts to you. Would you move in our lives that we might know your presence? It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray today. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for worship today. I wanna thank the team that made this service possible and especially thank Pastor Spencer for his powerful message. If you know someone who would benefit from hearing this message, we invite you to like it and share it on social media. Thank you so much for doing that. And now we invite you back next week for week 10 of our sermon series on David. God bless you and have a great week.